Hello and welcome to the latest Leash Today podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Pavel Barter, who is the presenter of the Runaway Joe podcast from RT's documentary on, on one series. Runaway Joe tells the incredible, scarcely believable story of Joe Maloney, an Irish-American who is on the FBI's most wanted list and who lived in Capard House in Rosanallis throughout the 1970s and 80s under an assumed name, Michael O'Shea. How he came to Rosanallis is Rosanallis is a story in itself. In 1967, he was accused of murdering his wife June at their son's fifth birthday party in New York. But when he was in custody, he escaped and went on the run, eventually ending up in Dunleary in Dublin, where he took on a new identity under the name Michael O'Shea. During his time in Dunleary, he bought a small garage, which later earned him a small fortune, when the local council bought it off him at a largely inflated price as it stood in the way of a proposed shopping centre. The proceeds of this sale helped him to buy Capard House and 120 acres in Rosanallis, and he lived there along with his new wife, Sheila Chandler O'Shea. However, all of this time the Gardaí were aware of his true identity, having matched his fingerprints to those of Joe, Joe Maloney, who remained on the FBI's most wanted list. But there was nothing they could do only keep an eye on him, as there was no extradition treaty between Ireland and the US. In the meantime, under his new name, O'Shea threw lavish parties in Capard, renovated the house and built a career in the Irish film industry, working alongside the likes of Pierce Brosnan and Sean Connery. But he had also racked up serious debt at this stage, to believe about uh, half a million in 1981, which would be about €10 million Euro in today's money. And when the extradition treaty was eventually passed, he was arrested, jailed and brought to court. The case collapsed, however. And shortly afterwards, some stage in the mid to late 1980s, he disappeared again and hasn't been seen since. Pavel and his documentary team behind Runaway Joe have been trying to track him down. If he's still alive, he'd now be 88. As it's a live investigation, anyone with any information is asked to come forward and contact Pavel and his team. We chatted to Pavel about how the documentary started and where it's going to go from here with a couple of episodes still to be produced. Okay, as I said, I'm delighted today to be joined by Pavel Barter, the producer uh, of Ru- the Runaway Joe podcast, which is an absolute phenomenon at the moment. And Pavel is a freelance journalist and documentary maker. Pavel, you might just bring me back to the very start. How did you first come upon the story of Joe Maloney uh, slash Michael O'Shea and decide to, to to bring it into its current format and how you're telling the story? There was a judge uh, who retired some time ago called Gillian Hussey. And Gillian brought out her memoir a couple of years ago in which she talked about her long career in the judicial system. She'd be in her late 80s now. And she has faced the likes of John Gilligan, members of the Hutch and the Kinnahan families. But one of her strangest cases, which she outlined in the book, was when a man came in front of her who apparently wasn't who he said he was. His name was Michael O'Shea, at least it was in Ireland, but authorities were saying that his real name was Joseph Maloney and he was a fugitive who was wanted in America on a charge of killing his wife. So that was where I first heard about it. I read about the anecdote in Gillian Hussey's book and from there fell down the rabbit hole. Where, 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 where do you start with something like this? What's your first port of call? Well... First port of call in this case was actually talking to Gillian. But then you go and look at archive newspaper reports. You uh, speak to people who are still around. uh, We spoke to law enforcement in the United States, FBI agents who worked the case, the district attorney's office in Rochester in upstate New York who'd investigated the case. 
have been incredibly helpful and gave us access to the case files um, in regards to the alleged murder, which took place in 1967. And this being pre-digital, of course, all the case files were just in cardboard boxes. So we got to sit down with Wendy Lehman, the, the um, retired prosecutor for the DA's office. So we've spoken to dozens and dozens of people who knew Michael O'Shea, uh, who were involved in the investigation, and of course, plenty of people around the Leash area as well. And it was, was it difficult to get people initially to speak on it? Because obviously there's been a long number of years, and I'm sure people have, have died um, in the years since that. But like, Wendy Lehman was a huge person to get on it. And was it hard to get the likes of her to sit down and chat with you? No, I don't think so, because... I think the passage of time has actually helped us. And for the likes of Wendy Lehman, I mean, this was a case that got away. There was no closure, there was no resolution, and there was no accountability when it came to Joe Maloney and his behaviour. So she was, she was, you know, keen to sit down. She was very helpful. I think once she realised that myself and the team at Documentary and One, you know, were approaching this ethically, methodically, and you know with journalistic rigor she was only too keen to sit down with us and and then the likes of like one of the early um guests you have on the program is joe maloney's sort of school boy friend was it hard to to get him to sit down because he's he's a very um engaging uh guest in what the first couple of episodes yeah neil again you know neil has spoken about it in the past some time ago he was on a couple of uh there were there were TV shows in the early nineties in which the FBI put out requests, you know, for any anyone with information. And Neil was in those shows, Unsolved Mysteries and America's Most Wanted. So Neil was was usually helpful. We went and met him one very snowy day in Rochester in early 2023. And I mean, not only did Neil have personal insight into Joe Maloney, but he was also a key part in the prosecution's case. In that that is where. Joe Maloney allegedly got the poison uh, mm. from which he used to kill his wife. And of course, Neil didn't know that he'd taken the poison from his uh, his basement until it was too late. Yeah, got it. It's, 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 it's so. And then in terms of you had a retired superintendent guard in, in Ireland, was he difficult to, to, to track, you know, to, to agree to sit down as well? Or, or have you been finding the same sort of manner with anyone you approach? Certainly not from law enforcement, because, again, from law enforcement, this is still, to our knowledge, an open investigation. And there does come a point in open investigations in which law enforcement agencies really reach the end of reach a stumbling block and can't proceed any further. So putting out public appeals at that point, you know, is, is one of the only things that they could do. We've seen the Garda do this in Ireland with a number of high profile cases. So in this case, getting getting law enforcement to speak about it because it was unresolved, as I said, was something that they they seem keen to do. Yeah. Um, what type of a team have you got behind you working working on the programme? Well, the RT documentary on one team, as you might know, is sort of a long established mm. um, uh, organisation with, with, within RT that produced award winning very high caliber documentary series and so uh, you know it's myself it's uh, Tim Desmond who's the co-producer on it uh, Liam O'Brien who's who's the uh, running the show as executive producer Nicolene Greer an assistant uh, 
producer as well. And then we've we've got some great composers in the Czech Republic who are uh, working with us and putting together the soundtrack as well. But again, you know, all this kind of brings a journalistic, evidentially based rigor to the entire investigation, uh, you know, which I think kind of gives it its strength. I suppose on a local level, and where it really becomes local to leashes, um, Michael O'Shea lives in Dunleary, sells or has a business in Dunleary, sells it for a massive price to the to the council in Dunleary, and buys a Capard House, which is an estate uh, in, near near Rose and Alice. Um, and instantly, I my thing when I was, when I was listening to this, how was he funding this lifestyle? And now I know you answer it as you go on, but like he was living the life of a. Landed gentry of it. It was just with with no massive income. Yeah, well, I think he first got a, a pot of cash in the early to mid nineteen seventies when he owned a garage in Dunleary, and simply by circumstance, by chance, with sheer luck, that garage stood in the in the way of the Dunleary shopping centre, uh, which is still there. And the council offered him a large pot of money in order to uh, to take that space. He took it and he moved the garage out to Dolkey. And that gave him the opportunity to purchase Capard House in Rose and Alice in 1975 for, it was 42,000 Irish punts, which wasn't a lot, you know, even then. He, he bought that from Robert Noonan, who's a property developer. And he, yeah, he tried to set up a potato farming business on the land. That was a failure. He tried pony trekking on the land. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, this is a leash story from start to finish in a lot of ways as well, because that's where he began. That's where his family began. You don't mention it on, on the on the podcast, but both his mum and dad were from, one was from Leash and one was from Offaly. You might just give us a little bit more detail on that. Yeah, so his... His uh, father was called Joseph Maloney Sr. And he was born in 1901 in the Ross Gray area. And his mother was called Winifred Doyle. And she was from an area called uh, Raheen, which I think is fairly near Castletown, sort of that, that neck of the woods. Raheen um, is sort of between Abbey Leaks and Mount Rat, yeah. It's kind of like a little townland, mm. I think, isn't it? Up around yeah, that neck yeah, of the woods. Yeah. I, so I've actually been to the house. The family house is is, is up around there. Um, and so she she was born in 1908. She would have grown up in that local area. Her father and mother were Doyle, uh, Doyles, yeah. James Doyle and Mary Quinlan. And they're actually buried nearby, I think. And uh, Winifred then and Joseph Sr. emigrated to Rochester in upstate New York, I think, in the late. 20, 1920s, early 30s. Joe Maloney, the subject of all this, was born in 1935. But as a as a child, he used to travel over to Leash. He used to travel to that family homestead in Raheen. And he was traveling, you know, as recently as Joe Maloney, uh, as the early, early 1967. His wife was killed in May 1967, May, June 1967. He was over in January, February, nineteen sixty seven, as as Joe Maloney, so he he ended up back there when he bought Capard House under yeah. the name of Michael O'Shea with a completely different identity. 
So it was it was essentially where he began or where his family began yeah. was in Leash, you know. And like, I suppose it's just such a different time in that. But like he, he could have been recognised as Joseph Maloney when he was back. Yeah. Even though his his circumstances were so different, I suppose even like linking his new lifestyle to that of his old one would have been a fair leap. He could have been recognised. Maybe he was recognised. We don't know that yet. We don't know if the... I mean, a lot of members of Winifred's family, for example, emigrated to America. It was just around that time. He had an uncle, I think, who was a priest in New York. But there were family who remained in the Midlands area. There was a Mrs. Viney and Mrs. Austin and Mrs. Bryan and Mrs. Delaney. All this from uh, Winifred's uh, bitchery. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, who knows? He he, he may well have been recognised. I guess that's not something that you know people want to <laughs> of course, uh, yeah. necessarily talk about. But we would definitely welcome any family members who might still be in the local area if they'd like to speak to us, and uh, even even in confidence, that would be great. Yeah. When you started the podcast, what what it's it's sort of open ended, as you say. But how many episodes would you envisage it taking to tell the full story? Well, now we're looking at about nine or so. Okay. Um, so it started off at about six, but it's kind of like a uh, a book in which the last chapter has yet to be written. So we're uh, th- there is an end in sight, but we're not quite there yet. And uh, how so far? We're pro- yeah. So, sorry, carry on. We're probably looking around early early March or so by the time okay, so it wraps you, up. It's six episodes out um, so far. How far ahead of yourselves are you? I, I listened to last week's episode where you interviewed a, num- a number of local people, in, including Willie Telford, who was the owner of Telford's Hardware in Mount Rat and, and Port yeah. Beach as well. When would the finishing touches on that episode have been done? Or like, I'm, I'm trying to sort of, like, how how live is it, the story it, you're telling? It's really live. <laughs> so so those episodes would have been those interviews would have been done probably just a couple of weeks ago from today so in in february so after you know after the series had started so a lot of the leads that we're getting from episodes that are going out we're building episodes on top of those so it's it's quite a it's quite an interesting process in that it's it it is a live investigation and the the listeners the audiences are definitely helping us in in fill in fill in a lot of these kind of missing pages in the whole story it must uh, be all consuming for you it's pretty all consuming but i i have been working on this for the last couple of years so i'm very familiar with all the different areas and aspects of the story and and for me um you, you know it's it's one of those stories i'd like to think as a journalist your job should be to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted and in this case the afflicted is a woman who was murdered potentially at the age of 26 and had no closure her family had no accountability no closure and joe maloney he's the comfortable he's the guy who allegedly got away with murder literally so our job is is really just to uncover everything that happened and if we can find out where he went in the most recent episode he was in Capard house he'd been there for quite a while it looked like you know he was stockpiling cash he was selling various assets whether he owned them or not um and he was looking to sell Capard house what where does the story go from there so the story goes from there he was eventually arrested 
uh, an extradition treaty was passed. The reason why Michael O'Shea couldn't be sent back to America, the authorities knew that Joe Maloney, under the guise of Michael O'Shea, was living in Ireland because they'd identified him in 1973 when they took his fingerprints to eliminate him from inquiries um, from part of a... Some people described it as a burglary in a house in South Dublin. Others, some kind of confidence trick or fraud. Anyway, they knew he was here. There was nothing that they could do because there was no extradition treaty. So in late 84, uh, an extradition treaty was passed. Maloney O'Shea was arrested. He was brought in front of the court in Dunleary. He said that he wasn't who they said he was, but they brought over a detective from Rochester in upstate New York called George Reese, who identified him, pointed at him and said, that's not Michael O'Shea. That's Joe Maloney. He was my neighbour in Rochester. So he was kind of held bang to rights then. He was put in prison. And while being held in prison in Ireland, uh, awaiting appeal, the extradition treaty collapsed. He was released, disappeared, and hasn't been seen since. When when did he sell um, Capard House? So he didn't actually sell Capard House. He still owned it when he got arrested in 85. Capard went bankrupt at that stage. There are all the sort of bankrupt bankruptcy procedures because he had purchased Capard, as I mentioned, for around 42,000 Irish punts in 1975. And by 19... 19- 81, we've ascertained from uh, deeds and documents, he was over half a million in debt to the banks. So, you know, it was an incredible, uh, you know, turn of fortune. So so by 1985, he was, uh, you know, Capard was less than worthless. So it was, um, yeah, yeah. It, the bankruptcy procedure, proceedings happened after he had left Ireland. I guess the banks just took it over. Have point. you any leads on where he went to, or do we have to wait and, and hear the next episode? We do. We have leads. <laughs> and yes, you'll have to wait until the next episode. Um, I was in a country last week that doesn't have extradition where we believe he went. So you'll hear all about that yeah. in, in another ep- episode. I tell you, you, it's not it's not just for spoiler purposes. It's also because, you know, we're still working on it and we still want to tick all the boxes and make sure we're correct in the avenues we're exploring. Um, we, we obviously reckon then that he was travelling under a, a, a third identity at this stage. Yeah, that's pretty much the only way he could have travelled outside of Ireland. The FBI had red alerts on the names Michael O'Shea and Joseph Maloney. If he had turned up at any port, probably even if he crossed the border into uh, into Northern Ireland at the time, you know, he could have been arrested if anyone stopped him and asked him for identification. But Did his wife disappear that... with him? Yeah, yeah. His wife, so his his wife left with him. She, uh, that, Sheila Chandler O'Shea, mm-hmm. surname. She died in 2010. Okay. Where did she die? In in Ireland. She had come back to Ireland at that stage. Yeah. 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 Um, had they any children? We were not mentioned. No, they had no children. Okay. No. We obviously know that he did. Was there any evidence of any further children from relationships outside of his marriage when in Ireland? No. Not, not that we can ascertain so far, but again, you know, if anyone's listening to this and, you know, they know of any children or maybe they are the children, uh, we would welcome them to come forward. But everyone we've spoken to who were 
close to them and in their inner circle said they didn't have children. Do you think he's still alive? He'd be 88 now. Do you know what? I, I don't know. I really don't know. It's definitely a possibility. You know, at 88, he could still be alive. Someone actually said to me that he was the sort of person who would will things to happen around him. If they weren't happening, he'd will them to happen. So as an old man, he could potentially be the sort of character who will himself to stay alive. Completely possible. We've heard that he's dead as well, but we don't have any um, clues as to where his resting place might be if that is the case. The important thing, you know, is that there really isn't anything left to hide at this point. He's either a very elderly man or he's dead. And we do know that someone somewhere definitely knows something, probably in Ireland, potentially even in the leash area. So we welcome people to come forward with any information. Um, where does the whole runaway Joe go from here? Like this, I imagine. Obviously, it's an incredible body of work that you've done, but there are other formats that it could be told in as well, including TV. Like someone said to me, like this is made for Netflix. Is that on your mind, or is there any approaches in that regard? Um, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it probably is in my mind, but at the very, very back of it. <laughs> in, a, in a room with a locked door yeah. that I come back to later on because at the moment we're so in the thick of, of this investigation that it's sort of taking up all our time and the important thing you know to mention is that podcasts can do something that TV even Netflix can't mm. do they can really illuminate a story I think using audio in ways that other mediums can't some people just aren't comfortable sitting in front of the camera but if you if it's just yourself and someone else in a room and you just have a microphone, you don't have a big camera crew with lighting and people running around yeah. and that sort of thing. It can make people uncomfortable. So, yeah, I, I don't think we should underestimate the power of podcasts, as you know yourself. Um, you it know, could be dramatised, I'm sure, but like, yeah. it's so it's such a uh, surreal story that dramatising it would be um, would be difficult. Yeah. Yeah, dramatizing it probably would be tricky. I mean, it'd be tricky financially because it takes place over so many different decades that, you know, period dramas cost quite a bit of money or they just don't look very good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. um, you know, you're you're talking about the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, or maybe even going back to the 1910s in, yeah. in Leash where his parents, uh, you know, grew up. Yeah. Um, have you ever worked on anything like this before, Pavel? I haven't worked on a multi-episode podcast series like this before. No, I have done a number of other podcasts, sort of one-offs, uh, going back 11, 12 years. My first one was about Barry Lyndon, uh, a movie by Stanley Kubrick that was made in Ireland in the mid-1970s, uh, in which Kubrick was apparently threatened by the IRA and told to leave the country and... and uh, filming was done elsewhere but uh yeah i've done i've done quite a few other podcasts just nothing quite like this one yeah have you enjoyed it yeah yeah i'm I'm still enjoying it it's an incredible story i'm meeting a lot of amazing people and for me as i say it's really all about trying to find some kind of justice for june june fisk joe maloney's wife who he uh, was said to have given a poison cocktail. She had two children. And then you also have the legacy effect of it. Her kids who were orphaned practically after he left, put up into adoption systems, 
Karen, a child from his first marriage, who uh, lived a pretty miserable life um, and has wished her whole life to find out what happened to her dad. So a lot of it is just, you know, working on their behalf as well and trying to find answers and closure for them. Trying to track down his two other children, the, uh, has that been in, not possible? Well, I think they were very much protected mm. by their adopted family after uh, after he left and after mm. June died. But we have done press in the in the local area in Rochester mm. where I think the documentary has traction. So we do hope by the end of the series, you know, to have contacted them. Okay, you, and this has been listened to all over the world. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't really had a chance to have a look at all the metrics on it because, as I say, we're so busy sort of putting together the next episode each week. But it's, you know, this is a story that kind of began in Leash, as I say, began in, in your local area, Stephen, and then stretched out all around the world. Um, and as a filmmaker as well, of course, you know, Michael O'Shea worked in the film business. He filmed a lot of stuff up in Capard House, a TV show in the 1970s called Ar The Irish RM, was was shot there. I think Sean Sean Connery, you know, visited yeah. at one stage. He knew Pierce Brosnan. He worked with Pierce Brosnan on a number of movies. He worked on Excalibur. He travelled to Malta uh, with Pierce Brosnan to work on a TV show called Remington Steel. So it's a it's a story that isn't confined to uh, the borders of uh, the Leash Tip area. Yeah, look, it's just absolutely fascinating. So if the next episode will be out this Friday, you're telling me there's going to be another couple of episodes uh, again. We'll make maybe this appeal on your behalf. If anyone locally has any information that they'd like to come forward, you can contact Pavel. Uh, the email, I think, is documentaries at rte.ie. Um, documentaries at rte.ie, yeah. yeah. And you're all ears. Pavel, I want to thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed the, the series so far. And like a lot of our audience, we're looking forward to how it plays out over the next couple of weeks. Um, Pavel right. Barter, uh, producer of Runaway Joe, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Stephen. Take care.